Good evening. Everybody got one of these? So everybody got one of these? It's a chart. If you need one, ask Abel. You got more, Abel? If you need more, here. Well, yeah. There you go. All right, make sure you get one of those charts. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us, Lord, your hand upon our life for good. And, Lord, we love you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would always acknowledge you in all of our ways, Lord, that we never try to lean towards our own understanding, which is limited, but, Lord, that we trust you. And that, Lord, that you um, allow us, Lord, to to be at a place where we could hear your word, Lord, receive your word, Lord, love your word, Lord. Let it be like sweeter than honeycomb, Lord. Let it be something that transform us, Lord, and also keep us and encourage us and reprove us, Lord, and challenge us, Lord. But most of all, grow us, Lord, into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray. Breathe upon this study tonight, Lord. Let it come alive, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. And as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray and for his sake. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with us to Kings. So we go through verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, you know, as we study God's word together. And look, now we get into um, those little charts you have, you'll see Asa on one side and all in a big gap because during the reign of Asa, all those other kings would be kings that would um, reign. Asa reigned for like 41 years, but in between those 41 years, on the northern side, the kingdom of the northern kingdom, they would be two years here, one guy seven days, one day 12 years. You know, it was just all different numbers on the other side. And so Israel, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasher, he was the son of Ahijah, became king of Israel at Terzah, and reigned 24 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in, the, and, in, and in his sins by which he had made Israel sin. And, and so that sort of ended up the, the last chapter in a sense. So we know that Israel was in sin. There's no chapter break when you read this, when they write this. And they just kept writing. And as, now when you get to verse 1 in chapter 16, it says, as this man was in sin, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, Against Baasher, saying, now, don't get this man mixed up with Jehu, who is going to be king. He will be king later on, um, anointed by Elijah in Second Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So that's a Jehu. That's not this Jehu here. This Jehu, the other Jehu in Second Kings chapter 9, he's going to be a king. This Jehu here is a prophet. Two different men. And so here the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, which means grace. Grace means Jehu, against Baasher, saying, 
inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away your posterity. Now, posterity is a word that means you know, you're all of your future generations, all of your people that's going to be after you, they're not going to exist. You know, so I'm going to take that away. All of your generations to come, your posterity, the pos- posterity, rather, of Baasher and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, and this is interesting because God made Jeroboam house an example of what happened to those who turned to idols. He made them the example. You look in chapter 14. Turn to chapter 14. I want you to turn back so you can see this. Chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from from uh, and cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it is all gone. And then turn to chapter 15, verse 28. Let's look at this together so you can kind of see. God said that's what's going to happen to Jeroboam. In chapter 15, verse 28, look what it says. Baasher killed him. <laughs> that was Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, killed him. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. Speaking of Baasher did this. He did not leave to Jeroboam any one that breathed until he had destroyed him. According to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by his servant Ahijah, the, um, you know, the, Shal- the um, Shilonite, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, by which he had made Israel sin, because of the provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. You see that in your Bible? So it's showing you that the word of God, when these prophets would say, this is what's going to happen to this house and this such and such and so and so, and thus says the Lord, it was happening. It really happened. And then later on, Elijah will speak against the house of Ahab, you know, and he'll use the same example. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And like the house of Baasher, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. Later on in chapter 21, verse 22. And so now he's sown is a sowing and reaping principle here. God raises up Jehu to tell, you know, Baasher, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. You lived in sin you're going to experience the consequences of your sins. You sow to the, the, the flesh, you, or you will reap corruption. And so he says, here's the sowing and reaping principle. Surely I will, I will take away your posterity of, of Baasher and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And verse 4 in chapter 16, it says, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Baasher and dies in the city, and the birds of the air 
shall eat whoever dies in the fields. This is a judgment against the house of Baasher, something else, you know. Could you imagine God telling you that, you know, the birds of the air is going to eat you, and, you know, the dog's going to lick up your bones, or, you know. Could you imagine that? The dogs shall eat wherever belongs to Jeroboam, and the same thing is going to happen to him. It says, now the rest, the rest of the acts of Baasher, what he did, and notice, <clears throat> and his might... Not the Lord of hosts, not by, you know, not by power, not by might, you know, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts. But it says his might. So it's telling us that he did all these things that he did in the flesh. His might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Baasher rested with his fathers and was buried in in Terzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jehu and the son of Hananiah, Hananiah against Baasher in his house because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord in provoking him to anger with the work, notice, with the work of his hands. The works of his flesh. You know, the work of the flesh will always displease God. Look, no flesh shall glory in his presence with the work of his hands. In being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah. You look on that chart to show you that. So this is about 886 B.C. Eli, the son of Baasha, became king of Israel and reigned two years in Terzah. Now his servant, Zimri, his name means my protection. His servant, commander of half his chariots, notice, conspired against him, meaning Eli, as he was in, um, notice Eli was, he was in Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza. Arza, that's the house of Arza, meaning the house of delight. You know, imagine you in the house of delight. It's like, I don't know, maybe he was at a party, you know, not even strobe lights, but they, you just imagine drinking away, having, drinking away his sorrows, drinking himself drunk. So he, he didn't just go and get one shot and went home. You know, he was drinking himself until he didn't know where his home was. That's a big difference, isn't it? Drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terza, and Zimri went in, notice, and struck him and killed him in, in the you know, 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. It keeps throwing Asa in there because Asa is showing you that this good king in the southern kingdom is walking with the Lord and he's outliving all these other evil kings. That's something. That this parallel, this one king, they keep saying Asa, he's not part of the storyline. They just keep showing Asa and saying, Asa is still reigning. He's still reigning. He's still living for the Lord. He's still walking. You see the people fall. Don't get jealous of people that you think are prosperous or people you think are doing so great and you look get, get a little envious and so forth. No, no, no. God, you keep walking with the Lord. You keep walking with the Lord. Asaph said, my feet, they almost slipped when I went into the, when I saw the prosperity, you know, of the wicked. He says, how could this be in Psalm 73? He says, how? 
He said, it wasn't until I went to the sanctuary I understood their end. It wasn't until I went there and I understood their end. And Asa is still walking with the Lord. Then it came to pass, it says, when Zimri began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne. Now, he wasn't really like a son of, you, had, you know, he wasn't a son. He was one of the commanders that took over. You know, that he killed all the household of Baasher, just like the prophet said. And he did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri, Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasher. Notice, this is why he did this, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken against Baasher by Jehu the prophet, right back in Verse 3 of this same chapter, 16, chapter 16, verse 3, right in the, the word of God is being fulfilled here. For all the sins of Ahasher and the sins of Eli, his son, by which he had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Eli and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel Notice what it says in verse 15. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terzah seven years. He kills a king to only reign seven days, you know. And the people were encamped against Gibbethon, which belongs to the Philistines. Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it, heard it said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all of Israel made, notice, Amri, which means pilgrim of God. Amri, the commander of the army, king over Israel, that day, the day that the other king was killed. They made, that, they made him king in the camp. Then Amri and all of Israel with, his, with him went up to Gibbethon, and they besieged Terzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house, notice, and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire, and died. He killed himself and died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He only reigned seven days, too, by the way. And walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he had committed to make Israel sin, now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. They don't know what to do. This man killed the one king and he killed it. This is a mess. You know, it's a political mess. I go for this party, you go for this party. This is the world we live in. A divided nation. A house divided can't stand, you see. It says half of the people followed Tibni. His name is an interesting name because Timnai, Timnai means intelligence. Timnai, intelligence. The son of um, Gineth to make him king and have followed Amri. So there's a challenge. This challenge is going to take place for four years. It says, but the people who followed Amri prevailed over the people who followed Timnai, the son of Gineth. So Timnai died and Amri reigned. Notice, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. <laughs> they got all these different kings here. Asa's still reigning. Amri became king of Israel. 
and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah. And he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. Now this is not Samaria, the regent Samaria. This is a city of Samaria, a different place. It's not the region, but the city. It means, Samaria means look out. Look out, baby. Not the baby part, but the lookout part. Samaria. This is now going to be a key city in the Bible because Samaria would become the capital of the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom capital would be Jerusalem. The northern kingdom capital would be Samaria. You know, so this would be a key city. It was built around 880 B.C. You know, it was on a hill, about 300-foot hill. It's like 42 miles north of Jerusalem, about 25 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. And it, the city was, the problem, the problem that the city had, the nearest water supply or spring that they had was a mile away. It was about a mile away. You, if you wanted water, you had to walk a mile to get water, which is... A pretty long walk. Imagine every time you want a, a glass of water, you got to walk a mile to get it. That's a long walk. Uh, you'll get 10,000 steps in, though. You'll get your steps in. So Omri, he, he, he bought this hill, built the city. We know Samaria, which would later be, become a key, key, key location in the nation of Israel. According to the serious 9th century records, Omri must have been a great military leader because the Syrians called Israel the land of Amri. That's what the Syrians called them. The land, and some say he was a really intelligent man, but they, the Syrians called him, you know, they called the land of Israel Amri's land. Interesting. So Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, and did worse than all who were before him. Imagine having it as your, your, on your tombstone. Well, what's on his tombstone? He did worse than all who were before him. Is that something? <laughs> the height in between our birth date and our death date represents either good or evil. You know, he did evil on the side of the Lord. You know, you look at their tombstones. They had a birth date, then they had a death date, and then the huge height in there was going like this, nothing but evil, nothing but evil in the sight, and the arrow pointing up in the sight of the Lord. Imagine that on your tombstone. And this is for he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And in his sin, by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. As always, the problem is idols. You know, because we think of like it's all this deep stuff. People ask questions. Well, how do you do this? What should, the, what should you do as a Christian? And how should you live your life? And how should you do this? And you remember when Paul and Barnabas, they go to the Jerusalem council? When they get to the Jerusalem council, they, were, they had a discussion about does Christians need to be circumcised or not? But it's interesting what they concluded, what they said, what they needed to do. He said, this is what they needed to do, that they abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you do well. It wasn't that deep. It wasn't really that deep. Idols was mentioned in there. 
Idol worship always had some type of sensuality attached to it. You know, Aphrodite, the temple prostitutes, and, you know, all the wicked, dirty Canaanite gods. They had some Canaanite villages that they were completely wiped out because of venereal diseases. And they had all kinds of idols they bowed down to, all types of parties and orgies and all kinds of wicked, lewd, filthy stuff. And all these idols, they were, it wasn't just they, them bound down to a piece of wood overlaid with gold or silver or something like that. That's nobody life. Anybody that has an idol in their life, there's a lot of things attached to idols. And there's always something that's some kind of self-gratification to some degree that satisfies the flesh. Nobody never had an idol that didn't satisfy the flesh. That's why God says, you have no other God before me. Nobody, none of us in here ever had something that was an idol and then it didn't feel good to us. You know when people, well, I'm really struggling, man. You don't know I'm struggling. Most people say that they just lying to themselves. You're not really struggling. I'm struggling with drinking. You like drinking. I'm struggling with this guy coming over at 2 in the morning. I can't stop it. I can't stop him coming over. I don't know what to do. Lock your door. and Don't answer the phone. That's real simple, isn't it? Oh, that's hard to do. It was hard to do. You know what? Because you don't want to do it. Those idols. You know, it says the Lord God of Israel, they provoked the Lord God of Israel. This is Jehovah Elohim, the God of Israel, to anger with their idols. They had idols. And it says, now the rest of the acts of Amri, which he did, and the might, his might again, that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Amri rested with his fathers and was buried in, notice, the city that he built, Samaria. Notice here, the name they slip in here, which is going to be a character in the Bible that changes the Bible some. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. Notice, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Asa only had... Three years left to reign in the south because Asa would reign 41 years. But he's seen all these different kings come to power and fall down. All these different, it's amazing. It says Ahab, which means father is brother, the son of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Imagine having a president for 22 years. The same president. 22 years. Look, that's nothing. Manasseh, one of the kings of the southern kingdom, he would reign for 55 years. And I think Jilton would, would reign, you know, Uzziah rather, for 52 years. That's a long time to have somebody in, in power. A long, long time. It says, now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. I guess he did. More is caught than taught. That's what he learned it from his father. More than all who were before him. Now he's more, he's, every time they say more than all who were before them, that means whatever person was evil, now they taken it to the next level. Isn't that something? And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing. Meaning if, if it wasn't bad enough in regards to all the evil that he did, now he takes a pagan wife. He says, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, then he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, 
and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now he's going really crazy. You know anybody named Jezebel? I don't know anybody named Jezebel. Her name means there is no prince. One scholar translated her name says unexalted or unhusbanded. <laughs> All of them is bad, you know. But she was a worshiper of Baal, a Phoenician god. Sidonians, are, they were from Sidon, Sidon and Tyre. That's Phoenicia. That's modern-day Lebanon today. In that area, these gods, they would have, you know, Baal, the god that they believe was fertility and rain. He produced rain. They believe he produced the rain and everything. You know, that's why when Elijah, when Elijah comes on the scene, it's interesting to say there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word. He was, he was telling them, the god that you believe in, I can stop him at just simply praying to the god who is God and Lord of lords and king of kings. And he can shut your god down. That's when you know you got the wrong god. So Jezebel, I don't know anybody named Jezebel. Why? Her name is mentioned 20 times in the Bible, 13 times in 1 Kings, 6 times in 2 Kings, all in, you know, the ninth chapter, and once in the book of the Revelation of, you know, Christ in Revelation chapter 20, verse 20, Jezebel's name is mentioned by Jesus Christ as he addressed the church and Thyatira, known as the corrupt church, Jezebel. Jezebel. You know, you read Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. It's interesting what he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things, sacrifice to idols, the exact same thing at the Jerusalem Council they said you shouldn't do. That's what the teaching of this prophetess was giving them, you know. Somebody said, get ready, get ready, get ready. I got a word for you. <laughs> Jezebel, you know, was a system. She creates a system of idolatry. Here with the introduction of Jezebel, she and Ahab will take... The idolatry of Israel and Jeroboam that he started to a whole entirely new place because they adding other gods in now. Because, you know, Jeroboam said he made these shrines and idols to worship, one in Dan and one in Bethel, so they wouldn't go to Northern Trump, wouldn't go to Jerusalem and worship because he felt like they would, people, you know, he would lose the people's hearts and so forth. They said, no, that's not good. Let's get another god in here. We know something new. We have a, a new god. And this new God can change everything. He can change everything because Jeroboam wanted to, he wanted to mingle his worship in some ways as a counterfeit worship. As some kind of counterfeit worship. He even made a new day to celebrate the feast. You know, the solemn feast, the, you know, attempting to mix the two belief systems, you know, the golden calf and God, you know, <laughs> while like you know, pantheism or something, that you can have a bunch of gods and believe one one day and believe one another day and still be all right with God. Well, it don't work that way in our life. And Ahab and Jezebel would replace, they would simply replace anything that reminded the nation of the true and only holy, true, and living God. They will replace it. 
and thus create an entirely, I mean, this is said, an entirely new system that the nation of Israel knew not of. Jezebel is the only wife of the kings that is mentioned by name thus far in the entire Bible. She'll be otherwise will be mentioned later, but she's the first one mentioned. And it's not good. And I guarantee you she was good looking. I guarantee she was good looking. I, I guarantee Jezebel was probably a, a fox to look at. And you know what it was? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And Ahab said, look, why would I get one of the women from Israel? <laughs> I can get a Rashida mom over there. Why would, I, why would I get a girl from Israel? They are corny. They talk about let's go to the temple and worship. And, and why would I do that? Why would I get a girl that come to church every Sunday reading the Bible? That don't make no sense. Well, no, I'm going down to the nightclub on Broad Street somewhere, and I'll probably meet a nice girl there. You got Christian men that think that way. I met this nice girl. Really, what church she go to? She don't really go to church, but she was nice. Nice girl. Well, tell me what you mean by nice. She was just nice. You know, everything about her was nice. She was smart. She got a Tesla. Electric car. She showed me how you, you know, hook it up. She has everything going for her. And, and, and by the way, my mom even liked her. That's not a precursor to hook up with somebody because your mom liked them. Because you know somebody could be on their best behavior when they meet your mom. Hi, Miss Johnson. How you doing? Yeah, I can bake and everything, Miss Johnson. Yeah, I'll take care of your son like crazy. Really? <laughs> you know, because we think of these stories and we look at this and we start laughing. We say, no, no, no. You look at a Jezebel and you start thinking, you say, well, Lord, how in the world does this happen to a man like Ahab? How in the world do you get to a place where you just see something and you say, this has to be good. This has to be right. This has to be what I want. How do you see something and then before you know it, bam, you know, we're near the vicinity of the things of God anymore. You know, Solomon, who had all those wives, we've seen it not too you know, about a month ago. But it's interesting what he writes. He says, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. Around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandments is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her lure you with her eyelashes. You know the girl's got the long eyelashes now. For by means of a harlot, a man, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So as he goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her should not be innocent. People do not despise a thief 
if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who doesn't, and he and and he who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor will will he get. And his reproach will not be wiped away. And that's the man, the average guy, say, the, you know, at the window of my house. You know, I looked uh, through the lanterns and saw the simple man. I perceived the youth, a, a, void, a young man void of understanding, passing along the street near the corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and the dark of the night. And there a woman met him, met him with the attire of a harlot. And a crafty heart, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times, she was outside at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impugnant face, she said to him, I had peace offerings with me today. I paid vows, so I came out to meet you. Only you, buddy. Diligently to seek your face, you handsome something. I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry and Victoria's Secret too, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take fill our love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. I guess he did. He don't trust us with anything, and will come home. On the appointed day. You know, that was the Jezebels of this world. They know how to get a man, innocent guy, minding his business, on a corner. She says, look at him, slow. You don't know what time it is. And he think he got something good. You know? <laughs> look what I got. Well, we. <laughs> and my mom would just get angry when she saw the wrong girl around us. Don't you bring her in here. Don't you bring her in here. She made them stand outside. You got sons, you should guard your son's taste on what type of women they entertain and what kind of women they meet and where do they go to, how do they live. And I don't care if they do go to church, what's their walk with Jesus Christ? What's their walk with Jesus Christ? If it's more women than men in the world, it is. You can look like Herman the Munster and get a girl. I'm telling you, you can go somewhere, you go to one of the churches, there's a bunch of women, you walk in there, you barely can hold your head up. I'm saying, girl, look at that big jughead cute guy there. And before you know it, you know, bingo. She pursued you. Guys, y'all need to listen up. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, not she who finds a husband. Not she who finds, it never works that way. It's he who finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. She who finds a husband creates a disaster and has no favor from the Lord. So you don't want Jezebel, you don't want that in your life. She's going to change this man's whole entire life. he got royalty running through his blood veins, you know. And he could have been somebody. And the Lord could have used his life. But no, he said, I'll take Jezebel. And it says, then he set up an altar for Baal. See that? In the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. 
and Ahab made wooden, a wooden image is all, it's a, the groove, it says, King James says, a groove, Asherah, more than likely, this false goddess of fertility, the counterfeit of, you know, the counterpart of Bel, rather, the storm god, or the false god that controlled nature as the Canaanites thought. He says, and Ahab made a wooden image, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Some people must outdo others for the sake of saying that they did more evil. Look at this strange verse placed here in the middle of the evil that has come upon the nation in its darkest moment of idolatry and all other types of sin. God has shown us that his word shall never return void and the entirety of his word is truth and every one of God's righteous judgments endure forever. It says in, the, in his days, the days of Ahab, Hiel, Bethel, a Bethel, a Bethel, built Jericho. Notice, in his day, they built Jericho. He laid his foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segug. What a name. It means might or protection. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Jeremiah, the son of Nun. This is taking us way back to the book of Joshua. Way back through Joshua, the son of Nun, way back to Joshua 6, when Joshua charged them at the time when they defeated Jericho and the walls came down, he charged them saying, curse be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. The city Jericho, he shall lay his foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest, he shall set up his gates. So the same way that God said he would judge one who rebuilt the city, the city is the same way he would judge Ahab for building his new idolatrous worship system. That's why this verse is in here. There would, you know, there would, there would have, there would have been not, uh, you know, been a chapter break here for, for no reason at all. They just would have went straight through the next chapter. So he's in sin. They're rebuilding the city that God cursed. That's why when you get to the New Testament, it says Jesus was leaving Jericho, going into Jericho. It was two Jerichos. That's how you can leave one and go on the other. It was the one that never should have been rebuilt, and there was another Jericho. He leaves Jericho to go in Jericho. Along the way, blood and Bartimaeus says, son, son of David, have mercy on me. You remember that, that story? And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 17, look at this together. And through all the sin, you see God's grace. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, and he comes from east of the Jordan, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years Except at my word. Here we have this major oracle prophet of the Bible, this prominent figure of the Bible named Elijah. Where did he come from? We don't know. But God has, you know, has set a burning light in the midst of a dark nation. A crooked and perverse generation who would proclaim his truth and his word in the midst of a, in a dark, this place is a dark place. And they start building Baal worship and all these new worship systems. Elijah didn't write any books in the Bible. 
He's amazing in writing. He's not like, um, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel. He's not like none of those other prophets. He didn't give us any long-term prophecies or, or even any, any type of um, estiological insights. He don't give us any of these things, but he speaks to his current problem. He speaks to the current problems of the nation of that day. He speaks to the nation. He stands, he, he, it doesn't matter if he's alone. As far as he thinks he is alone, but it's 7,000 that didn't bother on the bell. But he thinks he's alone. And sometimes it's good that God thinks you're the only one doing it for some reason because you have a little bit of boldness and a little more conviction. And here he comes on the scene. Sometimes you think you got this zeal to do something, so I'm just going to do what God say. Sometimes God don't want to take a group with you to do nothing. Sometimes he just wants you to be that person. Remember in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, he says, I sought a man. He says, I sought just one man, just one man who was standing in the gap. And here he finds this one man. His name is Elijah. His name is Elijah. His name is mentioned 93 times in the Bible. It's interested. 66 times in the Old Testament, 27 times in the New Testament. His name is Elijah. Jehovah is my God or my God is the Lord. You know, the King James Version sometimes calls him Elias. Same person. We meet him in the New Testament. Remember, he comes and Luke tells us he comes in Luke chapter Verse chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, Luke tells us that he comes on the scene with Moses when Jesus is on Mount Hermon. When Jesus is transfigured, it says, Elijah and Moses appeared. You know, all the Gospels mention that. All the synoptic Gospels, you know, Mark 9, you know, Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus shone like the sun, Matthew says. And he was transfigured. It says, Elijah and Moses appeared to speak of his decease. His exodus. That was Elijah. This is Elijah here. Many, if not all, believe that he is the one who's one of the witnesses. In Revelation chapter 11, during to usher in what they would call the Great Tribulation, because the first half of the Tribulation is chapter 11, and it sort of breaks into the second half of the Tribulation period, which is a seven-year period, three and a half years he and Moses, they both get martyred on TV. They leave their bodies in the street for three days. God calls them up. The breath of life gets back, breathes back in their life, get back in their lungs. They stand up on their feet and they start ascending into heaven. Most believe is not all scholars. Many might debate it, but I believe it's Elijah. One represented the prophets, which was Elijah, and Moses represented the law. This, is Elijah. this man is an interested man. He's unique within himself. He's the first man in the Bible to perform miracles that could only, that the only way you conclude that he performed these miracles, it went for his namesake. Jehovah is my God, or my God is the Lord. He did all these different miracles. He caused the rain to cease. We're going to see that. You know, being fed by ravens, we'll see that. The miracle of the barrel of mail and cruise of oil. We'll see that. The resurrection of the widow's son. Calling fire down from heaven on the altar. Causing it to rain. Prophesying that Ahab's son will all be destroyed in you know, chapter 21. Prophesying that Jezebel will be eaten by dogs. He says that. Calling fire upon heaven, you know, calling fire from heaven upon 50 soldiers. And then another group of 50 soldiers come and he calls fire on them too. He parts the Jordan River. 
he parts the Jordan. This man walks in the Jordan River parts. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. This is a really interesting man. Keep in mind, he closes out the Old Testament. He closes out the canonized Old Testament. He's the one that it says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. Is this Elijah? Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Elijah comes in the presence of an earthly king representing the king of glory with his face like a flint, willing with all boldness to stand before the king of the nation of Israel, not wavering at all. He stands right before him. Not afraid at all to stand before him and says, no. The nation is in sin. Somebody needs to stand up. God says, I saw the man. And nobody says, I don't want to do that because if I do that, I might lose my benefits and I might lose my job. I don't want to stand up for the Lord. I can't do that today. Elijah could care less about that. He could care less about that. And some people say, well, he must have just walked in and he just told Ahab this. No, 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 no. The Lord's brother James who writes the book of James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem. James writes something that's really interesting because it gives us commentary of what Elijah did before he walks in the presence of King Ahab. James says that, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. He was a praying man behind the scene. He saw the condition of a nation. And he was serious about God, and the Lord used this one man. He's looking for one man that says, I'll stand in the gap for the United States of America. I'll stand in the gap for Pennsylvania. I'll stand in the gap for Philadelphia. Just one man. As the woman say, Lord, here I am, Lord. Send me to the king. Send me before the governor. Paul was that kind of man. He was before governors and kings. You know, the Lord said that he's a vessel of mine who will bear witness of my name before Gentiles, before kings and the Jews and so forth. And I'll show him how much he will suffer for my namesake in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. You know, Paul would have been one of those kind of men. Are we like that? Are we willing to say, look, enough is enough. We on our knees praying, oh Lord, raise up pastors behind pulpits that will teach the Bible and nothing but the Bible. Pray that people hear the word of God and they be moved by the word of God, not by some music and some other stuff, but the word of the living God that they moved and they go and they tell people, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Elijah would have been that man. He would have been that man. He goes in and tells the king, look, it ain't going to be no rain. <laughs> it going to even be no dew. Could you imagine that? And then it says in verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, to him, saying, notice, and he listens to the word. Now look, if you lived in, in Israel, and I just need to stop for one second again. Excuse me, but I'm kind of excited about this. If you live in Israel, if it did not rain, you know you were in sin. That's how I want y'all to understand the Bible. If Israel had a drought, it was because of sin. 
And I'll give you some verses to write down. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 and verse 17. And I'll read it. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. The only way it wouldn't rain in Israel, it was because of sin. Could you imagine that? And Jesus comes alone and says, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. For Israel, it was like, no, if it didn't rain, you were in sin as a nation. And God in his grace and his mercy and his love for Israel sends Elijah. This is God's mercy and his grace that he raises up people to tell sinful people the truth. It's his mercy to tell people, you know, be, you know, look, we don't want you to perish. We don't want you to die. God always sends a man of God before he judges. He always shows mercy before he judges any nation. Always. They laughed at Noah. In the whole world, only eight souls were saved, it says in the book of Peter. Out of, some scholars say it was about two billion people in the world at that time. Imagine eight people out of two billion. I don't know how to get the numbers, but if it was two billion, eight people? And he raises up this man. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, get away from here and turn eastward. And hide, this would have been a problem for most of us. You mean to tell me after all those years of praying and seeking your face, you give me a 24-word ministry, and now you want me to hide for three and a half years? you got to be kidding me. Hide by the, by the brook of Kirith, which was east of the Jordan, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded, notice this, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. How many of us have said, Lord, this is this great man, this is a great plan? Praise the Lord. You, praise the Lord. You know, ravens are scavenger birds. And they, the way they kill their prey, if they see something laying that they think is dead, they, the first thing they do, you know what they do? They pluck their eyes out to make sure you're really dead. You imagine get your eyes plucked out. They say, Yo, he's laying down on the side, right? You know, they do their head, pluck the eyes out. The, 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 the raven, you know, which was considered according to the law, you know, Leviticus chapter 11 verse, I think it's verse 15, ravens were considered unclean animals. They were unclean birds. And we know that in Job 38, I think it's 41, ravens don't even feed their own young. You, you know, you, if you're a raven baby, you're going to have to figure it out. So y'all start rooting for the Baltimore Ravens, all right? <laughs> Imagine being a raven baby, you born, and he said, Mommy, can I get some to eat? Get it yourself, boy. You're on your own. They don't even feed their young. Remember after the flood when God, you know, destroyed the earth in Genesis chapter 8, verse 7? Noah sent out a raven. The raven never came back. He never came back. The raven. 
So I don't know how much, you know, how most of us would have felt about, you know, the scavenger bird feeding us. But this was God's method. This within itself is a miracle because a raven don't share nothing with nobody. And it says ravens, plural, not a raven. It was more than one raven here. Most people think it was a raven. No, ravens, plural. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. This is obedience. For he went and stayed by the brook of Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. I don't know if I would have wanted it. You know, bread, meat, bread and meat in the evening. This is a miracle. And he drank from the brook. Could you imagine that? You obeying the Lord. That's why, look, he says, David said, I once was young and then I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the servants of the Lord not being taken care of. He will take care of his own. In difficult times, he will still take care of his own. People have been tortured and, and God sustained them. Nobody feeds them. He sustains them through a lack of food, a lack of water. He can keep his own. I'm not saying he's going to have ravens feed everybody when they're in difficult times. Sometimes he doesn't bring anything and he still can sustain you. Ask some of those guys in some of those prisons in some of those, you know, um, um, Islamic countries and so forth. And how they got out and the Lord sustained them. The ravens, plural. God takes care of his own. He takes care of his own, and notice, but in his own way. Isn't that something? We would say, Lord, listen, I'm serving you, Lord, please. I just want lamb chops on the grill. Let me and Joshua's at this place today, Judah Grill, was eating. I was like, Lord, thank you, Lord. If you love me, feed me sheep. I was happy. I left this smile. I was kind of down when I went there, but I, I, I perked up a little bit, a little, little, little Israeli food in my gut, you know. I was happy. This is brought him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, bread and meat. Could you imagine he drank from the brook? But notice what God does sometime in our lives. We say, Lord, thank you for blessing me. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. Could you imagine? Elijah prayed for no rain. So what did he expect to happen for, to, to this, you know, the source of water? But now the bigger picture is that he himself is witnessing God's word being manifested, you know, confirming that he was a spokesperson for God because he said, there will be no rain nor do except at my word. Now it's being confirmed that what I said is right, but now what about my water? Right? See how God does that? That should encourage them some because there had been no rain in the land. What happens to us when God changes the plan in the midst of us obeying him? He said, Lord, I thought you was going to be with me and give me this, Lord. Because you, you know how you start off something, everything seems like, oh, he's blessing, he's blessing. And then almost God said, all right, let me back off. What do we do when we really hear God's voice? Oh, Lord, I need another job. You get on the job, and he's, oh, Lord, oh, thank you for this. I love this new job you gave me, Lord. 
And then they have a, a you know, then they have a, a, you know, a mandatory meeting. Everybody got to come into this, the, you know, this big, huge room, you know, where there's a meeting, or, you know, a round table. Everybody's saying this is, we have some news for everybody in here. The firm is closing down in three weeks. And you said, I had the church praying for me. They was praying for me. Mother Judge was praying for me. You know, Pastor Joe and Pastor Mike and Pastor Harvey and Pastor Tito, everybody prayed. And I got this job and I'm working. I love this job. And then they come in and say, it's closed down. And I was the hardest working person on that job. I was always on time. I, I went to that church down there. I gave 10% of my income every Sunday at that church because they prayed for me and they blessed me, put it in my little car. Praise the Lord. No, Y'all need some more. I, I did all the things right. I scrubbed the church floors, everything you could think of I did. And you mean to tell me, Lord, you're going to let this place close down on me? I'm obeying. How could this happen? <laughs> wow. Because it happens. Now the brook is dried up. Where does Elijah get substance? Or where can he simply get a glass of water from? At this point, we would say, I think, did I really hear the Lord's voice when I came here? We would say, did I really make a mistake by going to Ahab? We would say, how could this be if he sent me here knowing that I'm zealous for him? For certain he wouldn't allow this brook to dry up for my sake alone. Why would you do that, Lord? You know what the answer is? Oh, the Lord would do that. Because he's moving and cultivating Elijah's heart for something later on that he's going to need in his calling and in his ministry. He allows those things to happen because he's doing something in our hearts for us to never depend on nothing but him only. Don't depend on the job. Don't depend on the husband, the mother, the children, the nephew, the car, the, the portfolio, the 401k, the 403b, the house with all the things you could have. Don't depend on nothing but the Lord God. And so he will put you in a place sometime where you say, Lord, I've been doing everything right. Yeah, I know you have, but I'm going to show you something else about me. You think I'm Jehovah Jireh? Oh, I'm going to show you I can provide by myself. Because man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the living God. And we think, oh, he can't believe he did. We'd be crying, oh, God, oh, Lord, this is tough. Look, these are questions of thoughts that would have went through all of our minds one way or another, I'm sure. Tough times produce tough people. That's what it does. God calls us, and then he gives us one chapter at a time, and it produces enough faith for us to walk through the entire storyline of the book until it says, the end. Which chapter you on in life? I'm in chapter two. <laughs> Man, chapter one was horrible. Chapter two is much better. Chapter three is worse than chapter one. Oh, my Lord. Chapter seven is great. Chapter 10, oh, that's the end. You out of here. You're going to glory. He said, really? Yeah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from them all. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, verse eight, saying, arise, go to Zarephath. This means smolding place or 
crucible, 80 miles from where he was, which belongs to Sidon. This is Phoenician coastal city between Sidon and Tyre. It's right in the middle of Jezebel's territory, Gentile territory. And dwell, it, it means to settle or live there. Settle, dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow, notice, there to provide for you. How in the world are you going to, now he's thinking, this is what it drove us. You mean to tell me a widow, how much money she has? We would have been flipping out. Could you, been, we would have said, Lord, Lord I'm just going to die in the sand. We wouldn't have followed none of this stuff. You know, Jesus even mentions, Jesus said that, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when, when heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine through all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to the woman who was a widow. The Jews were so mad at him. And verse 10 says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. He's still obeying God. We wouldn't have done all of this. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called for her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So while she was still walking, he said, bring me some bread. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in the bin and a little jar of oil. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. <laughs> that we may eat it and die. I guess this is encouraging for Elijah, huh? Really? <laughs> the Lord said, I'm saying to you, what on you mean? He said, yeah, I don't have nothing. We're going to just eat what we have and die. <laughs> that would have drove us crazy. We'd have been, this can't be the right widow. God, me another widow. We would have been flipping out. So she said, as the Lord lives, <laughs> I don't have nothing. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from, his, from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bend of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the judge of oil run dry until the day of notice of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her and her household ate for many days. I guess she's thinking, I've never, look, man, this is something else, brother. Then the bend of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah, God provided daily. Give us our daily bread. And he loads us daily with benefits. God provides day by day. We will depend on him day by day. You know, God was teaching Elijah something as well as this widow. God is faithful. Isn't he faithful? Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that, that there was no breath left in him, meaning he died. He was gone. This woman must have lost her husband, too. You know, this woman was already ready to die. Her heart was settled and fixed to do the same thing, you know, in verse 12. I'm just ready to die and so forth. But Elijah comes alongside and gives this woman, you know, back her life to some degree. But now her son is gone. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, old man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? She's thinking that God is getting her back for something she's done in the past. 
Because every time something wrong happened to us, we said, God is getting me back. He get me back. You don't tell anybody that. When people mourn for a long, long time, a lot of times they mourn because they say, he's just getting me back. He's getting me back. We do that. And that can plague us sometimes, our past. She didn't realize that, that she didn't realize that God wasn't getting her back. She didn't realize what God said in his word. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He, he is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor keep his anger forever. For he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. God don't get us back. If he wanted to get us back, man, we would all be smoked. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid on him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord. He's a praying man. And he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Look at this man praying. And he stretched himself out on the child three times. This boy is dead. And cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James says it about Elijah. He's a praying man. God will always use a praying man. He will always use a man that's interceding, that's praying, that's praying. He will always use a man that loves his word and a man that's a praying man. He will always use that man. And that man won't get worn down. You might get tired in it, but you don't get tired of it. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house. Elijah heard, he said, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him. And he revived. This is not soul sleep, as some say, who are in error. When a person gives up the ghost, their soul goes to the Lord. You know, this, all the souls of mine, it says in Ezekiel, you know, this child comes back. Only God can do that. And Elijah took up the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, notice, see, that was the biggest sea in the whole world. Imagine, she cried, oh God, I can't believe it. It's from my past. I did this 20 years ago. Oh, I did this. You don't know what I used to be like. I was something. Oh, no, you, Lord, you've seen all the dirty stuff I did. The Lord said, yeah, I've seen it, and I love you anyway. I love you anyway. He says, see, could you imagine this woman? Could you imagine this woman, he brings this child down to the mother. In the upper. He says, see, your son lives. See, I told you you can trust the Lord. Didn't I tell you you can trust the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not towards your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God. And that, notice, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is the truth, not a truth, not the truth. This widow is convinced. She sees her son raised from the dead. She became a believer in the God of Israel. She's in this Gentile land, and she becomes a believer of the God of Israel. Is that something? You think for one minute, you look at the life of Elijah, and you say, man, oh man, this guy was something else. 
He was a man with a nature like ours, the Bible says. So the same thing Elijah could be used and how he could be used, you know, God can use you the same way. I don't know if he'll do all the miracles he did back then in our lives through our life or whatever and how he worked in Elijah's life. But he can do similar things. He can do great things, great exploits he can do in our lives. How many of y'all believe that the Lord can use you? The Lord can use you. Let's give the Lord a praise. He can use you because God wants to use you. That's the whole point. He wants to use you. He don't want to use nobody else. He wants to use us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we stand up and sing this last song. Father, thank you for your love for us. Your grace. Thank you for this chapters, these chapters, Lord. They mean so much. You mean so much to us, Lord. The problem we have sometimes, we don't believe your word. We say we believe it until circumstances come. And we become circumstantial Christians, Lord. If everything is good, we're happy with you. And everything is going haywire, Lord. We wonder, are you the same God that you say you are? But our Bible tells us that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you're immutable. Lord. You change not, Lord. Lord, you're our rock. Lord, you are the Lord is our life and our salvation. Whom shall we fear, Lord? And so, Father, thank you, Lord, for lavishing us with your love, Lord, for giving us your word, for giving us the scriptures, Lord. How they make us, Lord, be all that you want us to be in, Lord. And sometimes they show us who we're not. But through it all, you're still faithful by your word, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.